Let us pray. Lord, we praise you and glorify you. We thank you for this time together in worship and to hear your word. And we ask that you give us your grace to resist temptation and build a strong faith day by day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So in our passage today, our attentions could be drawn to a couple of words, one being defiling and the other being dogs. But this is not what our scripture is about today. So let's investigate what this passage is really trying to tell us. In the early 1980s, I worked for the IT department of, a, of the Arabian American Oil Company, also known as Aramco, in a devout Islamic country, Saudi Arabia. And in that country, there's a department officially called the Ministry of the Interior for Public Safety, but who are known locally as the Religious Police. Every so often, this department would send out instructional memos to all foreign workers, and I'd just like to read one of them to you so that you can uh, know what their role was. It has been increasingly noticed recently that many foreign workmen go about outdoors virtually naked in front of women in public places, such as markets, streets, and shopping stores, especially those who wear shorts. Further, their wives, who appear either alone or accompanied by their husbands, wear either short clothes, which sometimes reveal the lower legs and arms, or light clothes, which reveal the features of the body. Since most of these workmen are familiar with the country's laws and the pertinent disciplinary ethical teachings, this behavior on their part is indicative of the feelings of superiority of their customs to those of this country, with the inevitable conclusion of disrespect to our customs. Anyone caught in that situation would be deported immediately without further ado, and the agency responsible will be punished. So although we lived in uh, the Aramco compound in Duran on the East Coast, we were near to the city of Dumam, which was a center of religious teaching uh, and ethics. And we too were subject to the contents of these memos. On a Friday or Thursday or a Friday, which was the Saudi Arabian weekend, if a woman was in town and her legs, arms or ankles were showing, she was stopped by the religious police. She was not exactly arrested and deported as threatened by the memo, but armed with cans of black paint, they would spray her to make sure she would covered from head to foot. And then Aramco used to issue what they'd call practices based upon local traditions. One example is, when driving up to the brow of a hill or a bend, be prepared to move off the road as oncoming vehicles may be in your lane. And this practice is based upon local drivers thinking that if it's their time to go to paradise, they will go. But if it's not time, then fatal accidents will not occur. So they had a lot of faith, but not really, they didn't really think of others. And in Saudi Arabia today, as in Jesus' time in Israel, there are strictly enforced moral, religious, sanitary, ceremonial, and civil laws and practices. 
But both these Islamic and Jewish laws are based upon the Old Testament laws that God gave to Israel in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Many of them tell what, when, and where not to eat, including when to wash your hands. Before our passage today, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had come to Jesus and complained that his disciples were obeying God's law by not washing their hands before they eat. At this point, he criticized them for being spiritually blind and for leading others away from God. They were so obsessed with enforcing the letter of the law, they were missing the point of God's word and the point of why those laws and practices were there. And as Jesus said in Matthew 15, 6, So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. But Jesus said, It's not what goes into a person's body that defiles, but the words and the actions coming from the heart that either defile or define a person. He was more concerned with the sins that tempt a person into those words and actions, resulting in evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. All those things that they were saying defile them. And so that was the observance of the laws, the obsessive observance of laws. But then we switch to the story of the Canaanite woman. And this is where historical prejudice and practices come in. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites were being led out to the wilderness, they were already people living in the Promised Land. And these tribes, including the Canaanites, were idol-worshipping pagans. They practiced child sacrifice, ritualistic immorality, and they worshipped many gods. And in Deuteronomy, God called for the complete destruction of all the tribes living within, within Israel's promised land, so that they may not teach you to, to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you will not sin against the Lord your God. But any Canaanites living outside these lands, or who fled when Israel invaded, they were not killed. And that's why we still have Canaanites in Jesus' time. They weren't all exterminated. But they were considered by those Jewish leaders and the religious elite as, in, as spiritually inferior, maybe even considered to be religious dogs. And in our gospel passage, it's obvious that the Canaanite woman was desperate, but she had heard of Jesus and heard of his miracles. She knew who he was when she asked for an intercessory prayer for her daughter, addressing him, O Lord, Son of David. She worships him and appeals to his compassion in her words, Lord, help me. Jesus points out that he'd been sent to spiritually feed the sheep of Israel through his teachings and his healings, not to feed the Canaanites and also not to feed the Gentiles. So after ignoring her and then insulting the woman, she responds, even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. By eliciting this answer from her, 
Jesus makes sure that everyone around him recognizes the depth of her faith. And her faith calls to his compassion. And by healing her daughter, he's able to demonstrate how his words and actions coming from his heart define him. And this, this passage is a very, very important event in the Bible. It's the moment that Jesus expands his ministry and starts sharing his new covenant of loving thy neighbor to all, including the Canaanites and the Gentiles, not just Jewish people. And this covenant is concerned with how our words and actions either defile or define us. So how does this apply to us today? Let me give you an example. Uh, a few weeks ago, I received an email from someone that totally disrupted my careful, carefully laid plans. And when I got it, I was very angry. I was frustrated. I was angry. And I wrote a well-worded, really cutting email response. But before I press the send button, I had this nagging feeling that something was not right. I really shouldn't do this. So when I reread the email, I was able to see that they were actually offering me help rather than being critical. But that my response was written in pride and in anger. So putting aside my pride and my anger, I was able to amend my response to be kinder and more effective. So this week I would like to ask that we all before we speak or we act, we make sure our words and actions reflect Jesus' covenant to love thy neighbor. Let's make sure that they, they reflect humility rather than pride, patience instead of anger, chastity and not lust, abstinence rather than gluttony, charity and not avarice, and diligence instead of sloth. So at the beginning, I said these passages were not about defiling and dogs, but they are about obsessive observance of the, uh, the religious laws so that it stops us hearing the word, and how Jesus, showing compassion in loving all, has opened up his ministry, not just to the Jews, but to the whole world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.